Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, good morning, everyone. It is another edition of the A Few Good Men on the Big Ten podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley, Andy Anders alongside. We have actual games to talk about today. Yay! And we have uh, an upset to talk about. And uh, a dominant team that looked pretty dominant, but maybe not as dominant as last season. We'll cover all of that today here on the Chris Landry Football Channel on Twitch. And as part of the Landry Football Network, we welcome you all in today. Andy, we waited a Good, long, sweet time for the start of Big Ten football. Do you have an overall rating of how the conference looked on Saturday? Well, uh, I think there was a lot of upheaval. I think there were a few teams that surprised me for sure. Uh, A few teams that met expectations. Um, uh, Overall, like you said, it's just that much sweeter to have football back now that we had to wait the extra time. Finally, games to talk about. Finally, we're back to twice a week here on the A Few Good Men on the mm-hmm. Big Ten podcast. Uh, what did what were your thoughts on this weekend, Bruce? Well, I thought Ohio State was um, everything I expected throwing the football, not quite what I expected running the football. Some of that's the backs, some of that's the line, and the defense is where I noticed a difference. It's, uh, I think, the normal ex- expectation of Ohio State fans to plug and play. You lose a great player, that's okay. Another five stars there waiting. Joey Bosa out, Nick Bosa in. Nick Bosa out, Chase Young in. This goes back a long, long time. You know, James Laurinaitis replaces A.J. Hawk, Bobby Carpenter, Anthony Slagle. Uh, you lose a Marshawn Lattimore, a, a Malik Hooker, in comes Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward leaves, in comes Jeff Okuda. But I think, Andy, every five or six years, it's hard to keep that cycle going when you have a continual progression of guys leaving early. And maybe that's what we're seeing at the running back position through one game with Master Teague and Trey Sermon in for J.K. Dobbins. And with the secondary, there were some holes in the secondary, and I felt like on the defensive line, uh, it's not just Chase Young they miss. As I said, they're going to miss Robert Landers, and they're going to miss Devon Hamilton. But I don't want to overreact to one week too much. It was a first week. You're used to seeing Ohio State or any Big Ten team debut against an overmatched non-league opponent. When you're playing league opponents the first week, the talent should be comparable, and maybe some more of your holes are going to be exposed early on than they typically would be. Absolutely. Any wise coach will tell you the biggest improvements on a team are made from week one to week two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the holes on the defense aren't felt as much on the interior defensive line. Haskell Garrett, what a game, what a storyline. Yeah. To be shot in the face. This man was shot in the face a month ago. And to come back and have the game he had, only two tackles and a sack on the stat line, but drew two holding penalties because they couldn't block him. Had a lot of other penetration that blew up plays. He basically forced a five-yard loss from Adrian Martinez on one run because mm-hmm. he burst into the backfield and... We all know how much Ohio State struggled struggled to contain the quarterback run Saturday. Um, 
The thing I'll say about the secondary in that game, it felt like the tight ends were the main exploit that Nebraska was able to find in the mm-hmm. passing game, and I think that might fall more on the linebackers. The Bills still out for me on the secondary. Um, I, I would like to see Seven Banks, Marcus Williamson, Josh Proctor, Marcus Hooker, those new pieces get challenged directly more uh, just to get a feel for how, where they're at. Uh, what I was surprised by was the defensive end play. I Ohio State wasn't getting consistent pressure at all from its defensive ends against Nebraska. Now, Nebraska has a really good offensive line. Mm-hmm. All five starters back. Yeah. All five starters back. But I was expecting Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Jonathan Cooper to get some pressure off the end, and all the pressure was coming from inside. Togiai and Garrett were the two main people providing that pressure. I think Cooper got close one play. Harrison was in on a sack, but it was kind of backside, late developing. It was more of a coverage sack. So I think the development at defensive end is going to be important because Ohio State always has that dominant rush end that can get to the quarterback. It's an important piece to this defense, especially when you're playing man across the board like they are and you face some more of those mobile quarterbacks. At running back, um, I feel like Master Teague might not be the solution for this team. He feels like a guy who would work in an I formation, Mm -hmm. a straight-ahead runner. He's got power. He's got speed. But the problem is he just doesn't have that burst that J.K. Dobbins or an Ezekiel Elliott or even a Mike Weber had to work in the spread. Um, I He could prove me wrong. I always hope, whenever I criticize a player, I always hope they prove me wrong. Because I, I, you know, I want to see anyone do well when I mm-hmm. talk about a player. But right in that game, he just didn't look, unless it was a straight-ahead run between the guards, he just didn't look like the running back for this offense. And Trey Sermon... Really, the balance wasn't there. He went down too easy a couple times, I thought. Light contact on the legs. Honestly, the most impressive running back in this game was Steel Chambers yeah, for Ohio State. I agree with that. I think that uh, he has a little more wiggle, a little more ability to make the first guy miss. I agree with you on your assessment of Master Teague and his utility is as a downhill runner, a one-cut runner, a really good change of pace back to a fast wiggly first back that was the role he filled under jk dobbins when the defense is a little worn down and i think he fills that role really well we need to credit him for an amazing comeback from a torn achilles in spring ball that's phenomenal that he rehabbed that quickly and is out there i just didn't see that breakaway burst lots of four yard and less runs and that's not what ohio state's used to at the running back position at all especially not with this offensive line uh, and there were there were plays where there were holes, there was movement, and they just you just couldn't hit it hard mm-hmm. enough in time. That burst that J.K. had to get through the hole quickly. Um, another team I really wanted to talk about uh, from Saturday, and this is you know probably the biggest single game in the Big Ten thus far, was the Penn State Indiana game. Mm-hmm. Um, I said before the season Indiana was my sleeper team. Feeling kind of validated with that pick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But Penn State, I was not expecting them to lose that game. I'll be honest. Going in, I I still thought they would win by a couple scores, even without Journey Brown, even without Micah Parsons. uh, Some of the pieces they've had to replace. Just And really, they did outplay Indiana for a lot of that game. Outgained them bad. Outgained them bad. So I just couldn't make the plays that were necessary 
Uh, James Franklin's been criticized in the past for his game management. How do you not make it clear to your guys that you don't want to score when you can run the clock out? You have a one-point lead, you have the ball. The only way Indiana can win the game is if you give them the ball back. And they did. They scored. They kicked the extra point. They go from up one, up to eight, up to eight. And I thought at the time, you know, why give them a chance? Because you instill belief in the Hoosiers, and to Tom Allen's team's credit, they came down, scored, got the two-point conversion, sent it into overtime, and then IU wins it in overtime. On the closest play I've ever seen. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, We want to thank you for being a part of our Twitch broadcast. Do me a favor, hit the follow button. It's located at the bottom of the screen. It's a little heart. Once you do that, you'll receive an email or a text notification every time we go live on the Chris Landry Football Show. Every single time, just click on the link in the message, and bam, you're watching us live. You can send us a message during the show uh, via Twitch. And we'll happily respond to it. We appreciate you watching the A Few Good Men on the Big Ten podcast. Yeah, let's talk about that Michael Penix two-point conversion run. And uh, did you see it live? If you saw it live, did you think he was in that second that you have before the officials make a ruling? I saw it live. I thought, when I was seeing it like happen live, mm-hmm. as the play unfolded, I thought he was in. Just because, you know, he knocked the pylon over with the ball. On the replay, obviously, the question was, did it hit out of bounds before it hit the pylon? And it did hit out of bounds before it hit the pylon about, it was like maybe an inch or two away from the pylon. But did it cross the goal line before that point? And unfortunately, they didn't have a good enough angle down the the line, down the... uh, goal line. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I was blanking on that word. Uh, that They didn't have a good enough angle down the goal line to tell if it broke the plane prior to the ball touching out of bounds. I thought letting it stand was the right call. Seemed to, seems to be the consensus that that play was so incredibly close and you really can't tell if it broke the plane before it hit out of bounds and then hit the pylon. Um, but still, it was it was an incredible play by Michael Pennington. It was. Um I did not think when he took off that he was going to get in at all. And he went full extension. I mean, stretched his body to its limit to get that ball close, mm-hmm. if if not over. You know, I don't think we'll ever know for sure whether it was, you know, an inch short or an inch beyond. It was a great play, great individual play. And if you're Penn State, you just can't be in that situation. You cannot put yourself in that situation. It was... A classic trap game going in. Indiana's not a terrible team. You had to pay attention to what you were doing. I know there's a tendency to look ahead to Ohio State in Week 2. And really, um, Penn State beats Ohio State. They still have the edge because they'll have the head-to-head win. But it takes all the wind out of your sails. And you have to wonder, how do you stop Justin Fields and company if you can't stop Michael Penix, Stevie Scott, Flop Fillier, and IU? Uh, it's just, again, you hit it. The game management of James Franklin, we've seen it time and time again. Curious calls at crunch time a few years ago, not putting the ball in the hands of Trace McSorley on a fourth down, uh, getting a punt blocked in Ohio Stadium when that was about the only way Penn State could lose the game. Penn State under James Franklin in year seven still seems to find ways to lose in games that they are the better team, and should win. I mean, they took the ball Saturday, went right down the field against Indiana, scored on fourth down, and then the rest of the half moved the ball, but Sean Clifford had two really terrible interceptions, and they just kept missing opportunities, missing opportunities, and giving Indiana opportunities. And they find themselves down by two scores, and they have to scrape to get back in front. They get back in front, and they don't do what you have to do to put the game away. 
What I'll what I'll say I like about them going into Ohio State though, um, into the Ohio State game, obviously it's being played at Penn State, is Pat Fryermuth. Ohio State really struggled to t- cover tight ends against Nebraska. I said that earlier. Um, Nebraska's third string tight ends were getting open. Those guys aren't Pat Fryermuth. So I think Ohio State's really going to have to find a way to fix that this week, or else he's going to have a big day. Uh, really, and you've got to get pressure on Clifford, too. I think if you find that pressure, you make him make another big mistake like he did against Indiana, those two bad interceptions, that could turnovers change the momentum of a game. And they, I mean, they did against Nebraska, too. Mm-hmm. There were two huge fumble recoveries uh, that made that margin. I mean, if those two fumbles don't happen, Ohio State probably wins by a few scores still. But... Really, the margin of victory was what it was because of those two fumbles, the scoop and score. And, you know, Nebraska was driving both those drives when they fumbled. So getting pressure on Clifford, forcing him to make another mistake like that. Got to find a way to stop Pat Fryermuth if you're Ohio State. Uh, the A Few Good Men on the Big Ten podcast is sponsored by American Betting Experts, one of the largest licensed sports and casino vendors in the U.S. We've teamed together to provide special gambling offers to all Landry Football followers and podcast listeners. Just go to our website, LandryFootball.com, click on the ad located in the upper right-hand side of the page. Pick among the gaming sites that are legal in your state, such as BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, and PointsBet. You can sign up instantly and receive an account deposit match or risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It's that easy. Go to LandryFootball.com, click on the ad located in the upper right-hand side of the page, and get in on the action with a special offer from American betting experts. All right, we'll go back to probably Ohio State and Penn State and uh, both those games a little later on in the podcast. Let's get to Michigan. They had the primetime slot on Saturday night. They got the full Herb Street Fowler treatment. They got game day in Minnesota. It's two ranked teams. It's the debut of Joe Milton. It's can Minnesota build on the success that it had a year ago. Uh, overall rate that game, maybe from the Michigan perspective and from the Minnesota perspective. From the Michigan perse- perspective, I'd say an A. Uh, I was really impressed with their offense. I thought the defense replaced against a really good – that Minnesota offense is legit this year. You return everyone on the offensive line. Uh, Ibrahim at running back, obviously Morgan at quarterback. Um, they have a lot of weapons and a lot of pieces on that Minnesota offense. It's a legitimate offense. You slowed them down. But the Michigan offense, I was really impressed with Joe Milton in his debut. Uh, I thought he looked really good throwing the ball, running it even. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a couple new pieces at running back. Um, who was the freshman? I, I'm blanking on his name right now. That they Well, they have Giles Jackson. They have uh, Chris Evans is back. They have Zach Charbonnet, and I don't, I'm don't. i with you. I don't recall the fourth guy, but they did throw a kid in there who you know, they parceled it out. I don't think anybody had more than 10 carries for Michigan. They right. went running back by committee. They Charbonnet by had committee. the big run up the middle. Hassan Haskins, they like him a lot. Um, I don't know. I'm still I'm still absolutely astounded that Michigan does not have a big physical Anthony Thomas, Tyrone Wheatley type tailback. You know, you know who I thought they'd have. They'd have a guy like like we talked about, Master Teague, mm-hmm. a one cut downhill I formation runner. Now that's not. Uh, Josh Gaddis's offense anymore. They're running the spread too, but I just think Michigan at the running back position. Charbonnet looked great on the seventy-yard run. Uh, the Michigan announcers were saying he's healthy for the first time in his career. Uh, maybe he's got more burst uh, after whatever bothered him a year ago than I uh, am giving him credit for. But to me, they just still uh, they don't have the kind of elite talent 
at the skill positions that I expected they would have. And I like Joe Milton. I thought Joe Milton was fine, but I think you need more than just one guy. And I just don't see them being elite when I look at Ohio State. Even when I look at Penn State, I see better skill position guys. Right. I could agree with that for right now, but I just I was not expecting them. I know Minnesota's missing a lot on defense, but I thought with a new quarterback, it would take longer for Michigan's offense to even get to a point where they could score 49 points against a decent Big Ten defense. Um, so I I actually really like the progression of where Michigan's at. And um, for what they have, I thought the offense played about as well as you could expect in that game. Is there a concern for you that they gave up 140 yards on the ground to Ibrahim and that they gave up 24 points to Minnesota? Because I'm looking at everything with Michigan for me is filtered through the prism of what can they do against Ohio State in the season finale. And we know what they've not done the last two years, which is put up any resistance defensively against the Buckeyes. Everybody else, they seem to handle fine. Not Wisconsin last year at Madison, but... You know, Don Brown's defense acquits itself pretty well when it's playing the Purdue's, Illinois, Michigan State's, you know, other teams in the league. When they play Ohio State, it's a disaster. And I'm actually kind of surprised Don Brown is back. He's going to have to figure out Ryan Day. And 24 points against Minnesota, I know it's a good offense, but 24 points against Minnesota, what's that going to be in Ohio Stadium in late November, in, in uh, December? Right. Well, again, it'll be the depth at defensive back for Michigan that's the big question mark for me in that game. I mean, Ohio State's passing offense looked about as electric as it could be. Yep. Against it's only going to get better. They had one incompletion. It was a drop. <laughs> and that was it. 20 for 21 for Justin Fields. Garrett Wilson, seven catches, 128 yards. The breakout star we expected. So the depth at defensive back is what really concerns me with Michigan playing Ohio State. Um but I do think, like I said, this this Minnesota offense is one of the best in the Big Ten still when you consider all that they return. Ibrahim is a great back. They have a great quarterback. They have a great first receiver. Five great returning offensive linemen. Um, so 24 points, especially when we saw Ohio State's defense struggle. We saw a lot of really good defenses struggle week one. Even across the country, if you look back at prior week ones for other big-time teams, that's college football this year. So I don't hold as much concern maybe as you do on the Michigan defense. Um, at this point in time, I still think I want to I want to give another week or two kind of feel it out what the pieces they have exactly are. Um, and Aiden Hutchinson looked really good for them at defensive end, I thought. Quiddy so. Pay came on late, and uh, so they got some pass rush. They're going to have to do that uh, to help their young DBs through. Uh, we want to thank you if you found us on Twitch TV, twitch.tv forward slash the Chris Landry football show. Two things, hit that follow button. It's a little hard at the bottom right of the screen. It'll automatically send you a message every time we're live and a link to the show. And secondly, chat with us on Twitch. Say hi, say anything, uh, your feedback on the show today, and we will give you a shout-out back. Okay, Wisconsin. They got the ball rolling Friday night. They beat Illinois. Uh, Nakia Watson, you know, pretty good running back. The big story out of this one uh, is no longer the big story. It's Graham Mertz at quarterback. He was great, too. Was he 20 of 21? Uh, I love how he can throw the deep ball. I think Wisconsin has to be able to stretch people. Jack Cohn, I know, was their starter, and they were a little nervous when Jack Cohn hurt his foot and had to go out. I think it's a... uh, gain for Wisconsin to have Graham Mertz, but it looks like they're not going to have him for the next three weeks. 
Yeah. Um, I was, we have a segment here on a few good men on the Big Ten podcast called You Can't Handle the Truth. Um, and for those of you who watch the show, you know. Would you like to get into it right now? Since no, you not seem right like now. you're on the cusp, okay? okay. Not right now. Not right now. I have a different <laughs> truth. What I was going to say is, what I was going to say is, my truth was going to be Wisconsin's going to go 8 0 without, because they don't play Ohio State in the regular mm-hmm. season and be the Big Ten West champion. I was ready to call it already. Graham Mertz was the real deal. He slung the ball. He's the best quarterback Wisconsin's had in a long time. I know that might be an overreaction to just one game, but no, I haven't seen anyone throw it like that for Wisconsin in a long time. So I was ready because that's the the piece they've missed every single year that I can remember. They've had great running games, great Mm -hmm. defenses. It's just if they have a quarterback, they've had decent receivers. They've had receivers. They just haven't had the quarterback to get it to them. Just recently. If they were, it seemed like there were a lot of years they were a quarterback away. And Graham Mertz looked like that guy, but now he might be out three weeks. Yeah, I was, the, the reports are from Jeff Patrikas, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, that he's tested positive for COVID. That's a mandatory three-week sit, 21-day sit. Uh, you're up on the testing more than I am. There's apparently a test that confirms the first test. So yes. there's always a chance with a positive test that it could be a false positive. Paul Christ is not saying anything. They'll probably win the next two weeks without him. The, the challenge is if he has to miss the Michigan game. That's a real yes. problem. Well, and with the protocols, he like the strict protocols are that he would have to because it's 21 days yeah. without any activity, and that's Michigan's within that 21 day window. And they play Nebraska this week. That could even without Mertz. Yeah. I thought Nebraska looked pretty good against Ohio State. I know the score doesn't reflect that, um, but I th- I think Nebraska could actually without Graham Mertz could give them a run for their money. Um, but yeah, I was like I said, I was ready to come on here and call them the eight and Big Ten West champions. I was um, they they thoroughly dominated Illinois. I watched that game Friday night. You know, it was the debut of Big Ten football. Uh, although I did leave after the first half to go to the gym, but the uh, I I was just blown away by Graham Mertz throwing the ball. The running game has always looked strong with Nakia Watson replacing Jonathan Taylor. The defense, even with all the pieces it lost, still looked really good. I'd like to see them play a better offense than Illinois. But if Graham Mertz gets back and keeps doing what he did in that first game, I don't see anyone that could stand up to Wisconsin in the Big Ten West, especially with how Minnesota looked against Michigan, the way they were kind of dismantled in that game. Mm -hmm. Um, even Iowa lost to Purdue. So, really, the Big Ten West is Wisconsin's to lose. Agreed. With how Graham Mertz looked. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what the Big Ten East looks like after Ohio State, uh, Michigan, and Penn State. I think we'll decide that. Although, <laughs> the shocker on Saturday... Former Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Schiano takes Rutgers on the road. We knew Michigan State was not going to be very good, but there's a level of not very good, and then there's a level of not good enough to beat Rutgers at home. And that's the level that Mel Tucker and Michigan State managed to get to in his debut. Well, unfortunately, we knew it was a rebuild. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm not sure if there's even a foundation right now in that house <laughs> that they're trying to build. They're, uh, Too many turnovers for Sparty and... Uh, Look, I mean, over the years, Michigan State has spartied itself into some 
really inexplicable predicaments, and uh, losing to Rutgers at home in the debut is certainly one of those. Right. So. It was the debut for Greg Schiano too. I mean, he's yeah. been at Rutgers before. Oh, yeah. Now they're happy about loaning that athletic department $100 million. they got to win over Michigan State. So yeah, absolutely. I guess it was all worth it. Some hope out there in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks again if you're watching us on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Chris Landry football show. Share the Twitch link to anybody that you know, that you like, that likes Big Ten football. Share it on your social media platforms, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whichever one you wish. Go to the bottom of the screen, right-hand side. Click on the share button and send it off. Then tell us where you sent it in the chat room, and we'll give you a shout-out. Okay, so uh, let's do our uh, You Can't Handle the Truth moments. You seem like you're chomping at the bit to get to yours. (laughs) You can't handle the truth! I think Nebraska's the team of the future in the Big Ten. Wow! Wow, that's a bold statement. Yeah, I really liked what I saw against Ohio State. Now, I know you're sitting there watching at home, those of you who saw the score, even some of you that watched the game are thinking, they lost 52-17. to It's one game in. What do you say? They, if anyone who watched that game, the way they came out, and they had every reason to feel dejected heading into this game. I mean, obviously the, the fight that they put on to get the Big Ten season back is going to bond you as a team like it bonded Ohio State. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the Big Ten really hurt them in the scheduling department. They got, there were a few questionable calls in that game that went against Nebraska. Uh, if, If we're being honest, a couple targeting penalties, whether you agree with them or not, they really fought to the end. Um, Nebraska didn't give up in that game, and if it's not for, like I said, two Really bad fumbles uh, on the part of Adrian Martinez. They only lose that game by a couple scores, I think, two to three scores. I just really like they had a really strong offensive line. I think Luke McCaffrey, once Adrian Martinez leaves, is going to be really, really good for them at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're really building. You talk about building a culture. I think Scott Frost has established that. They might go 4 and 4 this year, 3 and 5 even. But I still think they've gotten better every single year. Uh even if it was incremental improvements in the past, they look like a really motivated team with a strong culture right now. And it might not pay dividends this season. Obviously, they're still well behind the Ohio States of the world in the Big 10. But what I saw from them, and maybe it's not you know not an intangible thing. You can put numbers and say, yeah, they put up 377 yards on an Ohio State defense. That's nice. But it was the way they were still pumped up and excited to play when they were down three scores and they made a big play. I saw them celebrating. I saw them excited. It looks like Nebraska's team has really come together over this pandemic I just think they have the culture in place to succeed in the future. They won't contend for the Big Ten West this year, but I'd say next year, watch out for Nebraska. Wow, that's a bold statement. All right. Uh, that's Andy's you can't handle you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. Okay. I was gonna go one of two ways on this one. I'm gonna play off something you said. I don't agree with Joel Klatt very often, and I'm not sure I agree with him now. But we got to do something about targeting. If only rename it. Because what targeting has become in college football is that's an excessively physical hit in a physical game. That's what targeting is. 
you can't hit a guy high, period, now, without the flag coming out. And I know it's like, well, you throw the flag when in doubt, and then we'll adjudicate it later. We'll go to replay. It is an absolute, it's not a speed bump. It's a brick wall in the momentum of a football game. I don't like it for an offense that's trying to move the ball and it maybe has a rhythm going, and so many teams now play tempo. I don't like it for a defense. If you get a big hit, that gives defense momentum, and then you suck that momentum out of the game by making them go to replay to review it. I'm not against protecting kids from the physicality of football, but it's ridiculous that the Nebraska kid was thrown out for targeting on a hit to the chest where there was no helmet-to-helmet contact. Nobody knows what targeting is. The one Nebraska kid who, like, nodded his head and, hit a, hit and, and you know, barely tapped a guy in a helmet. I mean, is that helmet-to-helmet contact? Yes. Is that launching? I don't know what launching means. How do you not launch if you're a tackler? You, you are using your momentum to go into another player. That is by definition launching, whether you leave your feet or not. I don't like Klatt's idea of putting it in the hands of officials like they used to do on the face mask, call, face mask calls, it flagrant or not flagrant. I don't know how to fix it, but I know that football is a physical game, and you can't eliminate the physicality of football from a football game, or it's not football. If you want to make a rule that says you can't hit a kid above the bottom of his numbers, then make that rule. It'd be it'd be a rule, it would stink, but it would be a rule that everybody could say, well, okay, we know the rule, we can't do it. But targeting is a mess. And sometimes you're well-intentioned and you try something and you just have to throw up your hands and go, this ain't working. Right now, I just don't think it's working. Right. I don't think it's I think it works. I think it doesn't work more than it works is what I would say. And anything that you get wrong more than you get right and we see it wrong on the call on the field which delays the game. We see it wrong on replay which we saw a couple of years ago at Ohio State and we saw it uh you know, it's debatable whether we saw it in the Fiesta Bowl. I actually think by the rule that was targeting on Sean Wade. It's not it's not a great rule, as I've just spent five minutes telling you. But Nebraska's kid Saturday, that was not targeting. A Michigan player a couple years ago in a key game against Michigan State got thrown out for targeting. They're in the middle of the line. I mean, what do you expect linemen to do in the middle of the line? So it's just not that we've tried it this long, and it it's not it's controversial virtually every week with somebody. And so the only thing I know to do is to say you cannot hit above the bottom of the numbers or just call it what it is, excessive contact. That's like antithetical to football, but that's to me, Andy, what it seems like they're calling. is just, whoa, hard hit, can't do that. Absolutely. And I remember as a kid you used to cheer at those hard hits. Growing up, that was my favorite part of football. And I understand you have to protect the head. There's so much science, CTE, obviously. But here's the thing. It was put in place for the egregious stuff. It was put in place for the guy that ducks his head and rams somebody else's. And it wasn't made for a good, clean football hit to the chest. It wasn't made for Sean Wade bracing himself when Trevor Lawrence falls into him. And ducked his head. 
So yes. Lawrence ducked his head. Lawrence ducked his it's head a, as well. It's a normal human reaction when you're going to get hit to do this. Well, when I do that, what happens to my head? It goes down. Okay? And so sometimes it's inevitable. Receiver's coming over the middle. He's going to cover up. You're going to hit him. And you're aiming. Let's say you're aiming here, and then he goes down. Well, you hit his helmet. That's not targeting to me. Absolutely. I think what they need to do in the meantime, obviously you can't change the rule in the middle of a season. They should drop the ejection from it. I think it's so stupid that these kinds of hits that are so incidental sometimes and, you know, just they don't always get the call right. The NCAA tried to raise the standard by making it either it's confirmed or it's reversed. Mm -hmm. You can't stand, which means you have to be sure, quote unquote. But how could you be sure about a hit to the chest? I don't understand. It clearly hasn't worked, that modification. And I really think until we get some clarification on this rule, until it is improved upon significantly, you need to remove the ejection from it. Keep the 15 yards, I understand. But the fact that Nebraska is going to be without two of their best defenders in the secondary for the first half next weekend against Wisconsin because of, again, two very questionable targeting calls, I really think the ejection needs removed from the rule right now. Or the carry forward needs to be eliminated from the rule for exactly. sure. Penn State's going to be without one of their best defenders against Ohio State for the same reason. So, I don't know. I, I like your idea of, of eliminating the ejection. I, I like maybe making it a like an unsportsmanlike conduct where you got to have two before you get ejected, two in the same game. And I'm with you. I understand the intent. Sometimes the intent can be pure, but the implementation of it is a disaster. And it intruded on... A playoff game last year. It's foolish. It intruded on the national championship game with Skowski and Alabama, and how, or uh, Skowski and LSU. And how stupid is it that Skowski had to sit out the season opener the next year, the first half for Clemson because of a hit he made eight months earlier? I mean, just stupid. So it's over legislated. It's over officiated, and it's. You can't remove physicality from football. You just cannot do it. It's safer now than it used to be, but it's just never going to be 100% safe. Never. And so to try to make it such is silly, in my view. All right, let's get to the Big Ten games coming up this week, Andy. Friday night game is Minnesota at Maryland. That's a key bounce-back game for the Gophers. they got to win that one. There's no reason why they can't win that one, and they got to win that one. Michigan State at Michigan, noon Saturday. That one should be just an absolute blowout. Big noon kickoff. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if Michigan can't take care of Michigan State after Michigan State lost to Rutgers, then, you know, come on. Purdue at Illinois. That's a pillow fight. Wisconsin at Nebraska. Hey, you know what? Without Graham Mers. I think that game could be interesting. That could be interesting. I really think that, that game could be, be interesting. interesting. 3.30 p.m. Northwestern at Iowa. That's a 3.30 kick. Indiana at Rutgers. Hoosiers will be uh, flying high from their win over Penn State. And then the night game is Ohio State against Penn State. Penn State drops 10 spots all the way to number 18 after losing. I, I wouldn't be – I'd be surprised if Ohio State lost that game. I wouldn't be shocked just because I thought Ohio State showed enough vulnerabilities. You mentioned the tight end. Pass rush wasn't very good. Uh, the running backs are not special. Penn State's a feast or famine defense. They either get to the quarterback or they don't. And in years past, they've had really good luck getting to the quarterback against Ohio State, but they just don't get there enough because there's too many plays are made down the field by Ohio State's receivers. 
And Ohio State has, whew, man, do they have receivers? Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. And we I think didn't they even got talk about that. And catch. I think they got more. I think they got more. Oh yeah, absolutely. We showing. never, we never, we didn't see from Fleming, but one catch in this yeah. game. He'll be really good this year. G. Scott has a huge catch radius. You talk about him coming off. Jamison Williams, I was surprised didn't get more time. He only had one reception, but he'll be really good when they start using him. Um. He just you had the two main guys Olave and Wilson and that's really all Ohio State needed against Nebraska. Yeah. So a reminder that uh, you need to take advantage of a gaming offer from American betting experts. Go to LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located upper right hand side of the page. Pick among the gaming sites legal in your state. Sign up. Instantly receive an account deposit match or risk free bet from one hundred dollars to one thousand dollars. It's that easy. Thanks to our sponsor, American Betting experts. Uh, that will do it for us. Which is nice because I'm sick of talking about what ifs. Now we don't have to talk about what ifs. We have actual games and we'll have a second week of games. We'll find out if we get eight games in. Uh, you can't be eligible for the Big Ten title unless you play six games. So hopefully we don't have any widespread outbreaks on uh, campus at the title contenders because that would really stink if you went Five and zero, we couldn't play six games, couldn't win the Big Ten title, but you could probably—I don't know—could you still get in the playoff? I suppose you could. Would they put you in at five games? <laughs> five and zero. I mean, now that Jalen Waddle broke his ankle, to me it looks like it's Clemson, Ohio State, even more than I said that was the case last week. Right. So we'll see. First big test for the Buckeyes this weekend. Yeah, we'll uh, be breaking it down here on the A Few Good Men on the Big Ten podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed the show today. Hopefully you'll watch us on the Chris Landry Football Channel on Twitch from now on. Everybody have a great day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.